You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. Amen. From a mess to a masterpiece. And uh, God just really blessed him. And we've heard rave reviews about that. And so we are so delighted that you're here today. And uh, for those who did partake in the chalkboard testimony, and uh, perhaps there might be some cardboard left. If you are changed in this service, you might have time to just get a piece of chalk and write something on it and pass by here during the altar service or something. I don't know. But nonetheless, we're excited about what's going on today. Many of you have elected to take your step or your next step in the faith. Once you have gotten saved, you should be baptized in water. No reason not to be. And so we're going to give you that opportunity. And today is one of the rare occasions where it's heated. So, um, amen. You know, so if you're going to be baptized in water, now's your opportunity to do it right. Amen. And just to do it comfortably. But thank you for being a part. Let me tell you... God is doing some phenomenal things around here. And man, are we going to have a great time today as we conclude this series, Clean Slate. I feel a special burden upon me today, and I don't know why I'm not usually nervous. I've always, uh, everybody has that little bit of trepidation about going to the platform. But I seem to be at home in front of people and... But today I preach a very special message that's near and dear to my heart because I want to talk about those who feel that God has called them to do something and they have omitted that call or else they set their hand to it and they begin going down that road with that call and the distractions of life, the cares of this life, the problems, marriage come along, children came along, accidents happened, and whatever else it was that knocked you off of the path, and you are no longer doing that that God created you to do. You're no longer doing what that that you know that God set you apart to do, called you to do, and fashioned you to do. So today I have a special burden on my heart. To reach out to people that um, feel like they've somehow missed the mark. Maybe time has fell through or sand has fell through the hourglass and they feel like there's no opportunity to go any further. So I want to talk about a clean slate for disobedient leaders. Amen. A clean slate. Now that doesn't excuse anybody else because if you're here and you don't feel like you're a leader, that's okay. I'll guarantee the message is going to hit you too. So, uh, because uh, God has you here for a purpose. Amen? Our theme that we've looked at throughout all of this Clean Slate series is Hebrews 10 and 17. And it concludes like this. The writer of Hebrews said, I'll forever wipe the slate clean of their sins. I'll forever. Now, there's a condition you've got to ask him to do it. You've got to submit to him to do it. Amen? You can't just say, well, I, I want a clean slate. You've got to say, Lord, I'm sorry. You've got to repent. You've got to turn to the Lord. And uh, today it is especially, it, it, it's an especial, um, a special time, if you will, a weight that is on my shoulders to share with people that are perhaps like I used to be 
running from the Lord. Let me share the story with you. It was in 1981. I was a freshman in high school. I had been raised in church all of my life. For someone my age, I knew the Bible pretty good. I, you know, I wasn't deep and theological with it, don't get me wrong. But if you challenge me to a Bible drill, you better be fast. Because if we set two chairs back to back and someone called out a scripture, I guarantee you I'd be there like that. So I knew where to find all these things, you know. Uh, I, I could name every book in the Bible and tell you how many chapters and all of that good stuff. You know, I was the son of, a, uh, of an evangelist, and so I was in church, you know, every week and sometimes every day of the week. And on Saturdays when we mowed the grass at the church and when we painted the church and when we done carpenter work around the church and when we had chili cook-offs and when we, we killed chickens and grilled chickens and done all those things to pay the church payment, when we sold donuts and when we done all of that. I've been part of it. I've been auctioned off as a slave for a day. You know, amen. I've done it a few times to be able to pay my way to camp or to Six Flags or something like that. So I was in and out and around the church all my life. Amen. I had that drug problem. I was drugged to church every time the doors was open. But on this particular night in 1981, I sat right about where my son-in-law's at right now. Sat, well, actually where my daughter's at. And my best friend was seated right there where Reagan is at beside her. And um, I, we had come out of the Assembly of God, which I was raised in. And as a freshman, my mom and dad felt moved to come into the Church of God. And so we were sitting there, Pastor Darrell Glass, a great man of God who's gone on to be with the Lord. He was preaching a message that night. And Jerry was sitting right beside me in the front row there. And uh, Jerry and I, I want you to understand, we were typical teenage boys that often got into mischief. Are y'all with me? Say amen. You probably had never got into any mischief, but I did. But about two weeks prior to this, Jerry had come to my house and sort of tapped on the window. And that was, you know, the cue for us to open the uh, curtain up, open the window up, and see what we was going to do. We was going to slip out of the house, go egg some cars, go knock on some doors and run, put some cross ties out in the middle of the road, or tie a string to a pocketbook and put it out in the road, and by the time the car stops, snatch a string and scare everybody to death. We was going to do all kind of stuff because we were just teenage American boys that just wanted to get into mischief. I didn't mean to give any of your kids any ideas. I'm sorry. But I, 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 we got in some foolish, but foolishness, but nonetheless, he come to my window that night. And when he come to that window, I had had me a time with the Lord. And I'd been reading my Bible, Brother Ray, and I was laid back on my bed. And I was speaking in a heavenly language. And I was just caught up, like Paul said. It seemed like into the third heaven. And man, he, caught, he, he said, Mike, Mike. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I was just out there. And so he stayed there for a good while. And then later he said to me, he said, man, who in the world are you talking to in what language? And so I, I, you know, I didn't really, it was kind of one of them weird moments that Pentecostal kids had with their friends. Huh? You know what it was, Pentecostal growing up, you scared to invite somebody to church because Sister Susie was going to lose it. And, you know, walk the backs of the pews or something. Right? And you knew it was coming because they sang the third verse of Amazing Grace and she started to shake. And you knew any second, son, she was fixing to hit overdrive and there they go. And you also knew that your friend was never coming back again. I, I know. I done had Sister Tara tell me years ago, man, the evangelist jumped over the platform, jumped up on the pew, got in there. Sister, are you saved? Boy, and he drug that thing out about six syllables, and man, 
You know, uh, no, he said, are you filled with the Holy Ghost and all that? You know, and man, she didn't know if there'd even be a Holy Ghost. It scared her to death. And after that, she said to me, he said, Brother Mike, we love you and Sister Kelly, but y'all go to your church and we're going to go to ours. And it took me a long time to win them. So I grew up Pentecostal. I got it, man. I know all that. And I'm still Pentecostal. And I'm not ashamed of it. But you, you understand how it is. You've probably some grown-ups coming here and man, I want to invite my family to church, but I'm scared Pastor going to get carried away. <laughs> you know, they're going to do something stupid and embarrass me. Anyway, in the altar service that night, Man, I had Jerry with me. Jerry had done seen me out there, and hey, you know, but you kind of accept that with your friends. But we got there that night, and Brother Glass, man, he was uh, praying for people, and he had preached a masterpiece as he did every Sunday, it seemed. And in the service that night, he looked at me and he said, Michael, come here. And I got right there beside him. I'm shaking in a leaf. I weighed about 125 pounds soaking wet. And he laid his hands on me and said, God is preparing you son and one day you will step out and you will preach the gospel the Lord says that I have seen thee in the wee hours of the night crying out in prayer to me I have heard your prayers and I've appointed you and at a certain time you will go forth and you will carry the gospel and hundreds of people will be won into the kingdom of God because of your words Scared out of my mind. Didn't know what to do. Didn't know how to put that. I'll never forget that prophecy as long as I live. But I'll never forget Jerry saying to me later after church, how did he know about what you were doing in the wee hours of the night? And in my Pentecostal way, I said, that's just the Spirit of God. See, if we don't got an answer, we just blame it all on the Spirit. And I said, the Spirit of God revealed it to him. And that's the only way I knew to say it, and it was the correct thing. But let me say this. I ran from God. I ran scared. I didn't know what to do. That was 1981. In 1983, a 17-year-old evangelist, don't tell me God can't use young people. But a 17-year-old evangelist from Kissimmee, St. Cloud, Florida, he came and he only had one or two suits to his name, so he wore the same suit every time in revival. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And he began to preach that night. And, and, and let me say this. This was the revival that rocked the Floyd Road Church of God in Columbus, Georgia. I'm friends with them today. Some of them friended me on Facebook this past week. They were part of the youth group in that little church on the side of Floyd Road there where God revived us. And the young people went from the back three and four rows of the church down to the front. Are you hearing me? And to this day, there has been a revolution. Those same young people that were on the back are leaving in that church now and have been for years but Reggie Spires came he laid his hands on me and I, you know, I have no idea what he's going to say. And, and there again, through tongues and interpretation, he speaks to me almost verbatim in my mind what Pastor Glass had said to me two years earlier I got scared I ran hard I was a junior in high school. I hid those things like Mary did and pondered them in my heart. Next year I became a senior, 1984. I said, I just got to get through this year. I got through that year. Kelly and I was dating. On June the 2nd of 84, I graduated Jordan High School. On June the 30th, I got married. On December the 29th of that same year, I joined the Air Force without telling Kelly. I just dropped her off at work and went and joined. 
On April the 15th, tax day, 1985, I said goodbye to her at 2505 First Avenue, and I didn't see her for about four months, three and a half or so. And I found myself in San Antonio, Texas, reading the Bible. I had my Bible with me, but I didn't know a living soul there. God got me way away from everybody. He used that that I thought I was being a smart aleck doing and joining the Air Force. He used that to get me away. So figuratively, I ran across Georgia. I ran across Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. I was like Forrest Gump. I was running. Reminds me like of Elijah who ran from the Lord and had to go all the way back. But listen, when I got to boot camp, it was the second week I was there, or third, I can't remember. It's a little hazy. Found out that there was a church of God somewhere on Lackland Air Force Base, and I began to march there on Sunday morning. It was really the only day. Well, Saturday and Sunday you had off, but uh, uh, you still had to do some things. And, but, but you could go to church. So I marched to church, and it was a long way there, and I got there. It was a little bitty, tiny, podunk church that, uh, I mean, it was really, it was kind of sad. There might have been, and you know, all the guys there, we were there not necessarily because we wanted to really have a great relationship with God. We wanted to be out from under the drill instructors. Y'all understand. But I got there, and God was there, and it was really old-fashioned, and they preached a good message, though, and I watched a young airman pray his way through to salvation. I had an opportunity to lead him in that. I had an opportunity to see God do something great. And here I was, away from home, a long way from everybody that I knew. And I knew that God was dealing with me. And God says, this is what I've called you for. This is what you're running from. You know, you're supposed to be doing this. Listen, I'll never forget what my dad said when I left home. He said, I'm praying, I'm praying, and I'm believing that you're going to get stationed at Moody Air Force Base. And I didn't want to go to Moody Air Force Base. I wanted to go a long way from home, like Charleston, South Carolina. Five hours from Columbus. It's not a long way. So I wanted to go a little bit, but not 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 too much, y'all understand. And, and so all of those bases was my choices, you know, Charleston and Seymour Johnson and Patrick Air Force Base and Homestead and Fort Walton Beach there at Eglin and Tyndall and Panama City and man, I had all these kind of that was my dream and it is just a dream, you know that. Because the needs of the Air Force come first, right? And when you're running from the Lord, He's directing your steps anyway. So I stood there in the 3763rd PT area uh, in a training squadron, and the, the, the first sergeant was calling off order, Saints, Michael David, Moody Air Force Base, Georgia. Holy Jesus, how is this? How did that happen? Another Pentecostal answer. Daddy's been praying. I got to Moody Air Force Base, and then, like, uh, unlike many people, it didn't take me 17 weeks to go to church and find one once I moved in. I got there and found church that Sunday. Amen? I went into that church, and uh, I looked up, you know, where's the church of God's at? And I told, I'll never forget, I told Ray Dawson, he was my pastor. I said, Pastor Ray, because Brother Glass had resigned back in September, and Ray came in September, and I left in April. And I said, Brother Ray, I said, there's a lot of churches out there. And he said, you ain't never going to find a church like this church. I tell people that about the harbor now. But, but I was young and ignorant. You know, that's when you know it all. That's when I should have wrote the book because I knew everything. And I, I said, uh, well, there's a lot of church of God's, man. He said, I'm going to tell you, you ain't going to find what you got right here. And to this day, 
I've never found what we had right there. Amen? Yes, they're the same denomination. Yes, all of that good stuff. But I understand now what he was saying. But nonetheless, I went to church and I opened the door. And guess who the first person I met? Her name was Laura Glass. About this tall, Pastor Darrell Glass's mother. I didn't even know she uh, was there. Didn't know that's where she attended. I took that as the will of the Lord for Kelly and I to be right there. Let me just hurry this thing along because time has a way of getting by. While I'm there, I'm hungry for the Lord, and I'm digging into His Word. And I start reading the Bible every night of my life. I mean, I got this thing down in my spirit, so I'm reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. How many of y'all ever read Leviticus? Let me see your hand. Leviticus is the most boring book of the whole Bible. I'm not telling you not to read it. I'm just telling you it's tough to read it. The Levitical Law. Now you need to understand we're not under that Levitical law anymore. Praise God. God has come not to throw away the law. We didn't throw it away but to fulfill the law. But nonetheless, I was in the middle of reading that through Leviticus. And I was so burdened down. I just wanted to please God. And I was running from God, but I wouldn't even admit that to myself. And uh, I remember laying down on my floor, in the living room floor, in that old little house on 707 East Langdale Drive there in Valdosta, Georgia. I knelt down on that floor, and I prayed, and the Lord or something, somebody spoke to me and said, Michael, you will never be happy until you do what I've called you to do. And as if I was ignorant, I said, Lord, what is that? And he brought back my, to my memory the times that... That, that Pastor Glass had spoke. The times in this side of the altar over here where Reggie Spires had spoke. And I said, oh Lord. And then out of the clear blue, as something spoke in my spirit, it said, turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 and read it. I said, okay Lord, in the meantime, because I knew where Jeremiah was at, but I didn't, hadn't read the Bible from cover to cover and all this. I didn't have no idea that he was a great prophet or how he got called and whatever. So I said to the Lord, because I was confused and I was tired of all these monkey games with me. And I said, God, if Jeremiah chapter 1 don't have anything to do with a young boy being called to preach the gospel, I'll never entertain this thought again the longest day I live. So I turned there. And it said this in Jeremiah 1, 4 through 9. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet unto the nations. And Jeremiah says this, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, uh, I, I don't know how to speak. Here's my cry. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say that I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to say. Do not be afraid. That's what I was. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to rescue you, says the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said, I have put my words in your mouth. Now let me stop for identification purposes right here and say that is the scripture. That is the defining moment in my life when everything goes to hell in a handbasket. 
When the church people ain't buying the vision. When friends that said they would, don't. When others walk away and I'm disenfranchised and left all alone. I remember the words of the Lord that says, All men slay thee and forsake thee. I'll be with you. Don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be scared to say what I tell you to say. And I'm going to tell you something. When I said, Lord, okay, that's what I'll do. That was the greatest feeling that ever come off of me. The, the, the greatest weight that ever lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I could literally just jump right off the peak of, the, of a mountain and just float before the Lord. Let me tell you this. Here's the greatest thing God wants you to know this morning. God wants your obedience. He desires obedience more than sacrifice. He wants you to obey Him more than He wants your money. He wants you to obey Him. That is the most important thing you need to know. God desires obedience. I ran for five years. Probably you need to know that because sometimes the things that God commands us to do are very hard to accept. Sometimes the things he wants to do are hard to accept. See, growing up in the ministry, the son of a preacher, you realize you're in it for the long haul. You know, uh, let me ask you, what is it keeping you from doing what God's called you to do? Learn a lesson from one who ran. You can run, but you can't outrun God. What has God called you to do that you're too afraid of? What has God called you to do that you've made excuses for and you said, well, I don't have adequate training. Uh, or, you know, I, I, I'm fearful that I'll let somebody down. I'm, let me say this. You're not going to please everybody. I had a pastor's coach tell me this past week, quit even trying, which I quit a long time ago. Amen. I've done realize you can't please them all. I understand that if 50% of them love what I say, there's probably 30% that hate what I say. So I ain't trying to please you. I'm just trying to live in such a way and preach in such a way and lead in such a way that I please Him. But what is it that... What is it that you're so fearful of? What is it that you're so down and out about that has kept you from doing what God has called you to do? Let me tell you a story. It comes out of the book of Jonah chapter 1. Story of my life. It was the very first message that I preached. I'll never forget it. Uh, when I called Ray Dawson in mid-August of 1986, I said, Ray, I've been, uh, I didn't call him Ray, I, Pastor, I've been running from the Lord for five years. And he said, man, I was wondering when you was going to tell me that. When you was going to quit running, I said, I want to know if I could preach for you. I mean, or speak for you. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to build a message. I barely knew how to read my Bible. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And, uh, but here's the story I want you to know. The Bible tells me that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai. This was in Jonah chapter 1. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against that city because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa. And he found a ship that was going that way. And he paid the fare thereof. And he boarded that ship to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now what is it that God wants us to do today? He wants us to obey Him. He wants us to surrender to the will of God for our life. And for Jonah, it would be to preach the gospel to the Ninevites. Now Jonah was already a prophet. He was already preaching the gospel. But the Lord spoke to him and said, go to Nineveh, that great city. It would be like an Atlanta or Savannah for us. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Jonah had gone down below deck. There he lay and he fell asleep. And... Uh, Something happened, though, 
A great storm happened, you know, on that sea that they were on. And the mariners began to throw out tackling. They began to throw out equipment. And they said, hey, didn't we have somebody that just boarded with us that paid a little money to help for, you know, all of this? And yeah, yeah, where, where's he at? They said, well, he's, he's down there. Isn't it amazing how sometimes in your life when the wind is blowing the hardest, some people are just sleeping right through it. Don't bother them. You're on the verge of the biggest decision in your life. and The biggest test of your life. Let's see, everybody wants a testimony, but nobody wants a test. Are y'all with me? Say amen. You can't have a testimony without a test. Let me give you some observations about what happened with Jonah. He's called by God to go to Nineveh, but he does not want to go. So he ran from God in the opposite direction. Some of the reasons that he ran could have been cultural. There's no doubt about it. He didn't like the Ninevites. Amen. Um, you know, um, in fact, he would later say in chapter 4, I don't have time to tell you all this. He said, but God, I know how you are. He said, I'll go and preach. And because he wanted him to preach, he said, and yet 40 days says God, hell, fire, and brimstone will come down upon Nineveh unless you turn to God. Well, guess what? When he got there, the king heard him preaching. You know, it took three days to go through Nineveh. He was one-third of the way through there, and he was preaching, and the news came to the king. The king put out a decree, and he said in chapter 3, listen, every Ninevite, let it be known to all of you that according to the king and his elders and his lord's command, that nobody shall eat, not man, woman, boy, girl, or cattle. Nobody shall eat, but everyone shall sit in sackcloth and ashes and fast before God. Sprinkle ashes on the heifers. Sprinkle ashes on the cattle. And everybody lay prostrate before God. And you know what God did? He relented and He did not destroy them. Amen. And then let me say, let me show you this. Jonah didn't want to go. Uh, it's amazing how uh, how this thing worked out. But let me back up in my story and tell you before we get to this point. After admitting who Jonah was to the mariners on the boat, they asked him. They said, uh, they asked him a few questions. They said, Who are you? He said, I'm Jonah. Well, we know uh, we we got that. But where you come from? What's your country? Well, who's your people? And what have you done? You see, because they cast lots. You know what casting lots is? Casting lots was basically, it, it, for us, it's kind of like rolling the dice. For us, it's like drawing straws. And what they said was, we'll just say we'll cast lots. And whoever the lot falls upon, that's who God says this problem is upon us for. So they all cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. So they looked at him and said, who are you? Where are you from? What you're running from? What you've done? Etc. Etc. He says, I, 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 I'm a Hebrew. He says, you know what? I, I'm running from God. He said, well, well, what God? Because they already cried out to all their gods, and their gods didn't hear them about the storm. They said, well, what must we do to you in order for the sea to be calm for us? He said, I'll tell you what, just pick me up and throw me overboard. He said, if you throw me overboard, then the sea will be calm for you. And then they got scared. They said, well, whoa, whoa, we don't want to upset your God. You know, because if your God has caused all this to happen, then what if we kill you? What's he going to do to us? And so Jonah says, no, no, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be all right with God. He's, trying, he's chasing me down. Boy, we sing a song about his grace is chasing me down or something like that. He's chasing me down. And Jonah says, horse me up, throw me overboard, it'll be all right. God, God ain't going to hold you accountable. It's all my fault. So they, you know, they cast their lots and fell upon him. So here they go. One, two, I don't know how they've done it, but they threw him out there. As soon as he hits the water, whew, slick as glass. 
Here comes a great fish to swallow. Y'all ever seen big fish eat? They can get down with it. Uh, uh, you know, I have found turtles in the belly of a bluegill. Are y'all with me? Say, I mean, whole turtles. Now, could you imagine a fish from me to Ray? Can you imagine a fish from these big old fish? And Jonah was breakfast or lunch or whatever. I don't know. But let me say this. You can run, but you can't outrun God. <clears throat> so God wants us to surrender. So, you know, why, why is it? Uh, here's what I want you to understand about God. <clears throat> First of all, He wants you to obey. Amen. He wants you to obey. And, and, and then secondly, you've got to understand that the things He asks us to do are often hard to do. But he wants you to surrender. But why? Why go to Nineveh? Why do this? And what if we resist? Because some of you are resisting. I did. I resisted. I want to tell you something. His grace continues to push even when I resisted. I went back to school and finished my 10th grade. Picked up Kelly along the way. I finished the 11th grade. Got another uh, call from God in the 11th grade. Went on finished the 12th grade. Got hooked up with Kelly for sure. You know, you know on June the 30th of 84. Went on about my business. Worked in the cotton mill until December. And then joined the Air Force. And worked in the cotton mill until April. And, I, and God's grace is still chasing me down. Still, I'm a member of the church. I'm there every Sunday and Wednesday. I'm paying my tithe. I'm doing all of that, but I'm running from God. God has more for me to be doing. And so, anyway, His grace continues. You see, when Jonah ran, God sent a storm. When, when Jonah went overboard and would have died, God sent a fish. When Jonah would have died in the fish's belly, God made the fish get sick at her stomach. Are y'all with me? It'll get a little gross. But she turned toward land. And as she got close by before she ran aground, she vomited Jonah out on dry ground. Let me give y'all something about God. God don't give up on us as easy as we give up on everybody else. Chapter 3 and verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Said, oh, y'all want another one of these? Yeah, I'm glad. When the apostle Peter had denied the Lord, he left and said, I'm done with ministry. I'm going back fishing. But after the resurrection, Jesus came forth and said, Go tell my disciples and Peter that I've been raised from the dead and I'm going before him. Are you with me? Say amen. He got back to the same place he had called him three years ago. And then the second time, he looked at Peter and said, Follow me. Amen. His grace continues to reach even when we run. Say it to your neighbor. His grace continues to reach even when we run. So the Lord provided this huge fish. The word of the Lord came to him the second time. Let me ask you this. How far would God go to save you? How far will he extend himself? I ask you. And now I answer. He'll go all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross to get you. All the way to reach to where you are. You see, the word of the Lord came that next time, like it did to, to Peter, like he, he come to Paul. Listen, I, here's what, let, let me help you with this. You need to, you'll remember this by this. God's plan for you is always larger than what we think. 
Now let me take you back to the story so y'all don't get mad with you taking about Jonah. He preached all that. And, and, and I'm going to try to tie this up. Jonah preached to these people and they gave their heart to the Lord. I mean, they all said, God, Lord, forgive me. Jonah didn't want to go there to start with because he knew to start with that God, being so tender-hearted, if they asked him to forgive them, he'd forgive them. Jonah didn't like them to start with. You know something? I've had to preach some people that I didn't really like. <laughs> I've had to go back to some people, apologize to some people that I didn't really like. I, I didn't say Jonah was a super prophet. I said he was a prophet. And he preached the gospel and the Ninevites got saved. And he had said, yet 40 days God will rain down fire. You know what Jonah did? Jonah preached his message. He went out on the outskirts of town just so he wouldn't get burnt. And he sat back and waited on the fireworks. And I could see him throwing his hat down and saying, God, I knew it. That's why I didn't want to leave home. That's why I was stalling. That's why I ran. Because you're that kind of God. I go out there and tell them what you're going to do. They say a little man be pay me prayer and get saved. And you forget about doing it. I wanted to see sulfur, brimstone, fire. That's what Jonah wanted. So God caused, it was hot. And God caused a little gourd, a little plant, a little green plant. It came up and growed up all over Jonah. And it shaded him. It came up one night. And it shaded him from that end. He loved that little gourd. He said, boy, thank the Lord for this shade I got. It's keeping this old hot, arid sun off of me. Very next night, Jonah's still waiting on the fireworks. Very next night, God created a little worm that come and ate that entire gourd. I mean, ain't a green leaf on it. Got up the next day, and the sun's beaming down on him. Man, he's hot and he's parched. And he says, God, I knew this is how you was going to do me. I'd leave home. I went through hell backwards. I did all this stuff. And now you've done forgave him. And look at this. And by the way, what about my plant? I ain't even got a shade on my head. I'm so aggravated. I'm in this burning sun. God says, Jonah, you care about a plant that came up in one night and died in one night. And there's 120,000 people in Nineveh that don't know their left hand from their right hand. And you're crying about a plant, and I want to tell some of you this today. While you're crying and whining about a gourd, about something, about an excuse, this one done me wrong. I'm kind of offended at him. Get over it. Get over it. If you're in the ministry, you're going to get hurt. Toughen yourself up. It's just going to happen. People are going to let you down. They're going to say things about you that ain't true. They're going to say things about you that uh, you didn't so what they did about Jesus and you're no better than your Lord. God's plans is always bigger than ours. I'm going to say this and we're going to pray. In 2005, 6, 7, I don't remember. We were looking for land. We had a search crew and we looked at we looked at so much land in Camden County, I don't know, we looked everywhere. And uh come out here and I said, No, this is too far out. Can't do this. It was cheap back when I said that. 
We looked at land on the interstate. We looked at land over by the high school. We looked, we looked everywhere. Every door closed, closed, closed. Finally, when this came available, it was at the height of real estate. I mean, the peak of real estate. I'm talking about you could buy it now for half of what we paid for it. Sorry that I led you that way. That's just how it is. Anyway, I, uh, God says, uh, well, God didn't actually say it at the time. He was trying to tell me about this land. I said, Lord, I, if we pay $328,000 for property, we'll never build. I mean, my God, how can we pay that much money? We, we won't ever buy anything. Something began to stir in me, and Adam Capasacalli, and his friend of mine, his real estate agent, goes to the assembly of God. He called me and said, Pastor, if you're going to buy that land, you better do so. We'd already put in three offers, less than 328000 We started about 285000 295000 305000 you name it. Written offers. Old man from Buena Vista, Georgia, over close to where I'm from. Bottom line, he said this, if you want it, it's $328,000. If you don't, somebody else will pay it. Adam called me and said, you know what? They just permitted 700 and some odd homes on the North Shore, etc., etc. Water and sewers going that way. If you're going to get it, you better get it. The price is going to go up. I said, make him a full price offer. Contingent upon the church agreeing to it, the bank agreeing to it, Tifton and God and everybody else. We wrote it up. He accepted it. 28.8 acres that we set on, 8.6 is cleared. God's plans are so much bigger than ours. I looked at this and said, how in the world are we going to pay for that property? I don't know. And then I started out thinking, man, if we just had a building, you know, about what we got here, maybe a little bit bigger, a few more rooms, this, that, and the other. And then we end up building what we built. Plan. I thought, man, if we could somehow do this for about $750,000. <clears> I didn't know it cost about $2.2 million. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And I'm saying, God, how? And here's what I want you to say. I want you to catch this as I tie this up. God's plan is always bigger than ours. If, his, if the plan that you're looking at it's so simple and you say, well, I'm going to ease right on down to citizen state. I'm going to get the 500000 or the million or whatever it is. And I'm going to have this one build it and that one do it. If there's no struggles, if there's no obstacles, then faith is not involved at all. I'm going to say I had a mountain of faith involved in this because everywhere I turned, they said no. Or not yet. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But I'm saying this. God, his plans were so much bigger than my plans. So now you have what you have, and it's full. And on Easter, we'll launch our second service. And then down through the year before it's over, we'll average 500. Are you hearing me say amen? And then before long, we'll have to build something else. And it scares me to death. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't know who, uh, you know, about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I'm going to walk with him. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to believe him. And if the tempest rages, I'm going to hold tighter. from paying zero church payment to over $10,000 a month and I oh my Jesus somehow God makes a way and God will make a way even that this that this will go away that debt one day will go away God will
will speak to the right person or the right group of people and somehow to go away. Stand with me if you will. I'm extremely, extremely serious about this altar call. I believe that there are those who God has laid His hand upon that you have decided that there's other things a lot easier. Listen, you're looking at... I'm not saying that you just... There are times when you abandon everything else and you go full tilt and do what God said. Listen, for me, I ran from God. I joined the Air Force. Four years later, I faced a decision. I was to be getting out. God had called me to preach. I said, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Scared out of my mind. I, was, I had all kinds of dreams and aspirations about being an evangelist and this, that, and the other. But I had the security of that salary in the Air Force. And on March 30th, 1989, that ended. Are you with me? And I said, Lord, what am I going to do? The only, the only uh, promise I have, the only pledge I have is the church wanted me to go on staff. And I've told you that story before. I asked the Lord to show me. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Nine months prior to getting out of service, the Lord told me, show me what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to do. I felt like that I was going to somehow go on staff. I had people saying that to me there at the church. I said, okay, Lord, I've been praying for nine months. It's time now. I'm about to get out. If my pastor asks me on Sunday to go on staff, I'll take that as your will. So I, I went to church that day, passed by Sunday school office, passed by Pastor Ogden's office. He said, hey, uh, Brother Mike, come here. Walked in there. I'd served as his right-hand man, right man for about a year. In fact, I served as interim pastor before he got there about two and a half months he said what are you going to do when you get out of service I said I have no idea I'm probably going to evangelize I'm going to do something he said I'll tell you what I really wish you'd stay here in Valdosta and become my associate pastor boy I was excited man I said oh hallelujah this is God's answer didn't realize that my wife wasn't as excited about it as I was she didn't been away from home she didn't even ask to join the service I went and joined and then said we're going she said I want to go home or I want to go somewhere else I said, but honey, this is what God has said to me. She said, but it ain't what God said to me. So we got into one of those uh, real heated discussions one day. We weren't arguing, I guess, or fighting, but we were really discussing things serious. You could hear it a couple apartments. <laughs> we lived in Lakeside Apartments on Northside Drive in Valdosta. Adam was a little squirt. I took him by the hand and said, come on, son. We went walking around the lake. It was probably a half mile or so around that lake by the time you go all the way around it and I walked around a time or two thinking well maybe she's cooled off walked back up the steps and uh, she was crying and whimpering I said alright what you want to do um, so window shopping was what we couldn't go shopping but we could window shop so we go to Kmart or Walmart or something and so um, you know we went on done our thing the next day, we hadn't talked about it much. We just sort of let that thing go to bed um, in our mind. The next day, we walked out of Kmart at Five Points in Valdosta, Georgia. It's not a Kmart anymore. I can't remember what it is. I was over there the other day. But we walked out, 
beautiful sunshiny day and a huge rainbow all across the sky. Kelly almost fainted. I mean, she said, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm like, hey, what, what, what's, what's up? What's up? I mean, is the rapture taking place or something? Gravity's letting go of her and not me or something? I don't know. But she says, that's what I prayed for yesterday when you were walking around the lake. I said, God, you hadn't showed me nothing. But if it's your will for us to stay in Valdosta and go on staff at the church, put a rainbow in the sky tomorrow. A man can't fix it. A man can't rig it up. Tears streaming down her face. Even though she wanted to leave, she said, you know what? It's God's will for us to stay. We embraced. We called our pastor. He said, you know what? I just walked out of the Valdosta Mall and looked up and I asked my wife, Pat, what kind of day is this for a rainbow? We met at the office. Man, we had us a Holy Ghost meeting. We prayed over the church. We dreamed about the church. We believed God was going to explode the church. And we stayed there for another year or two with them serving. And uh, I want to tell you something. God done phenomenal things. Pastor said, Brother Mike, I want you to tell that testimony on Sunday. I told that testimony on Sunday, and a young 16-year-old kid, he came up to me. This was when the Polaroid Instagram or Insta, whatever, Instamatic. Thank you, Holy Ghost. There wasn't no such thing as Instagram back then, but... But nonetheless, the instamatic camera where you point, shoot, and all of a sudden, it comes out. You peel the thing and hold it in the air for a little bit and develop it, and there it is. I know I'm telling you all how old I am, but nonetheless, he come up to me and he said, Brother Mike, I was so amazed by that rainbow, I took two Polaroid snapshots of it, and here's you one of them. And for years, every time me and Kelly go through, go through something so hard and it seems like we can't hear the voice of God and heaven seems to be brass and just can't get a prayer through, oftentimes she'll get me a card and say, remember the rainbow. Heads by and eyes are closed. Listen, if you're here and you've been running from God, if you're here and you know good and well God's laid his hand on you to do something but you've not yet done it, Maybe you set your hand to the plow, but you've backed off. You've done something else. I'm here to tell you right now. God wants your obedience. God wants your obedience. If you're here right now and you know God has laid his hand on you, I don't know, it might be for drama. It might be for kids. It might be for children. It might be for preaching. It might be for singing. I don't know what it is, but God has definitely put a call on your life for something and you've not yet fulfilled it. Put your hand up and write back down. Come on. Or just hold it up high for me a second. Come on. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.